Hello and welcome back to the DigiTalks podcast. As always, I'm so not sick of saying this yet, but I'm your host, Natalie. <laughs> and today I'm joined by the lovely Caitlin Winter. Thanks for joining me, Caitlin. Thanks for having me. I've been very much looking forward to having you on. I've known you for a couple of years now and you've got some seriously cool experience and some stories to share. So I'm really looking forward to chatting with you. Let me give you a bit of a rundown. With a decade of marketing experience under her belt, Caitlin is the definition of a results-driven marketer with a passion for representing innovative brands. Stemming from her bachelor's degree, in commerce, majoring in marketing and management, Caitlin has dipped her toes into many areas of marketing as she's progressed throughout her career as a marketing assistant to now marketing manager at Global Brand Neora. She currently oversees all aspects of promotions, websites, social media, SEM and communications for Australia, New Zealand and Singapore and is always looking to optimise the customer experience. I mean, customer first, of course. Yeah, geez, when you put it like that, it all sounds like a lot. I know. (laughs) You know what? You're not the first person that says that. They they sit there and they're like, oh, crap, I'm quite busy, aren't I? I think it's like 10 years. It's been 10 years. Uh, Facebook reminded me that my 21st was 10 years ago today. So, yeah, when you say 10 years, you Mm. realise how old we actually are. Yeah, those memories hurt. I know. (laughs) Can you turn them off? I hope so. I should probably look into that. (laughs) In all seriousness, though, you've been able to get experience in so many different areas of marketing. Is there a particular area that you've always been drawn to or you've wanted to specialise or do you have you liked being a little bit of this and a little bit of that? I do love being a little bit of everything, but I am one of those kids that never realised what they wanted to do. I was watching, you know, TV one night, you'd watch House and I'd be like, I'm going to be a doctor. That's awesome. (laughs) Oh, like, I'm going to be a physio. I'm going to be this. So I had no idea what I wanted to do. I'm a family full of lawyers. My sister was like from eight years old. I want to be a lawyer. That's it. And now she is. Yeah, Yeah, right. Going, I've got no idea what I want to do. Uh, So my parents went, okay, cool. We'll just put you down commerce degree. We did that. And then from that, figured out I don't like accounting. I don't like finance. So marketing seemed to be a nice fit. Learned a few things from there and was like, yeah, all right, let's do it. Reached out to a lot of people that I knew through family, friends, stuff like that. Asked if I could do some work experience. So I did a little bit of work experience in PR and things like that. And then applied for a internship at Glam Adelaide. And that's where I kind of fell in love with the digital side and social media and things like that. And it was just really cool to see everything firsthand. Definitely advice for anyone wanting to get into marketing is like intern all that kind of stuff during uni. Totally. Uni sets up the framework, but you've got no idea what that actually means until you get into a workplace. Yeah, so from that, I think digital was really fun because you get to see instant results. Like it was a very different landscape. It was, you know... I was just about to yeah. say, if I, that would have been the glory days. Oh, it was bizarre. You'd kind of sit there on like a Word document and you'd put together, you know, 20 tweets for, you know, Spartan Electrical or something like that. And you'd go, cool, I'll schedule these out. So that's a week's worth of tweets. And that was, you know, your digital. Yeah. And that was the presence that that brand had to have. And it was all Twitter and Word and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, got some experience on WordPress, doing articles, going to a lot of events. I think that was the thing that helped my career the most. Is like I meet a lot of people going through events that I had to report on for Glam Adelaide. Yeah. So, and that was kind of propelled from there. Used my connections to get a job at Maris Group. That was awesome. I got to do Rundle Street East. Yeah, I thought that would have been so cool. I still look back, it's just the most fun because I was marketing PR and events. You know, a young person straight out, just do everything. Yeah. You're young, you can do it. (laughs) (laughs) You're good with tech, you can do everything. So yeah, just wandering around, you know, taking photos, trying to build build a brand up. Got to do a few events, which is really cool. Work on some press releases, which is definitely not my forte. Mm, Um, It's a skill. Yeah, yeah. so I think definitely jobs like that in the beginning where you get a bit of everything and then you go, cool, I want to work for a bigger company where I can kind of get more experience. And that was National Pharmacies. And then from that going, you know, I want some more responsibility. So then I got to go to Hair Co-op and that was was really awesome. Really different getting into the hair care industry. Yeah, how did you find that? Because I feel like it is a very specialised niche. Yeah, it is. And I think when you get a job or you see a job being like in hair and beauty, you're like, oh my God, 
it's just so exciting. You never, you never see these jobs. I just mm. want to jump right into it. But I didn't realise how much it was, you know, almost B2B and B2C because it was wholesale. Correct. So you're doing a lot with the hairdressers and you got like some training and things like that and you're marketing to them because you want them to purchase the products and have them in the salon. Then you, you know, training on colour and things like that. But then you've also got the B2C. So you're going to your customers and saying, this is a really fun thing. We've got this, you know, from a distributor in Italy. Have you heard of this brand before? Yeah. Yeah. So that was really cool. And then transitioned to where I'm at now at Neora, which is completely different and crazy. But again, a lot of B2B and B2C. So a lot of different experience everywhere. But I was really drawn to digital. Yeah. I think it was that instantaneous reactions and things like that. And even you know, with Facebook, you look and you see, you swipe up on your stories now and you're like, oh, this many yeah. people have seen it. This many people have clicked on it. So that's always been really fun for me. But I think with the role that I'm in now, being marketing manager, I think I'm really into more the older I get being across the entire brand. Yeah. I do like knowing, you know, what's going on with SEO, what's going on with communications, everything. How like everything's that. working together. Yeah. 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 I like to see the whole picture. It, it's a dangerous trap to fall into the instant gratification. I'm really glad, you know, you went there because I have had that conversation with a couple of people as well. And in one sense... It's like a little pat in the back that you're you're on the right path and you're you know you're heading in the right direction. But then on the other side, you know you can get caught up in it and you can get deflated or you know you can get obsessed. Yeah, and I think that's what everyone's seeing when they do their own. You know, they've seen on Instagram where you're like, okay, cool. I thought that was just an amazing picture of me, and then only five people have liked it, and that's slightly terrifying. But as a brand, you'd almost find it worse because you go, oh, I've made this fantastic piece of content. Instantly, it hasn't taken off. Mm-hmm. But then you need to yeah, reframe yourself and go, okay, this is a piece of the puzzle that's a lot larger. Yep. It's like obviously what I've learned with you as well. It's like you need to take that time to go. I'm setting the pieces up. Yeah. Then you know the followers will come or the engagement will come. And the thing is as well, understanding how people actually want to engage with you. You know, again, I have clients who have maybe only three, 400 followers. They're getting 7,000 views on their reels. They're getting profile visits. They're getting website clicks. So all the things that I want to see, I'm happy with. If your followers aren't going up, I don't really care because the reality is... I feel like actually committing to follow someone's a big deal these days. Huge. A amount of people that like recently I followed, within two weeks I've unfollowed them. Yeah. I think this is a terrible idea. Yeah. Or you see them come up in your feed and you're like, why on earth did I follow you? <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> How many wines did I have that night? <laughs> obviously on some like deep rabbit hole and I've just decided to follow five people on this one subject. But it's like, you know, sitting there going, do I follow? Do I not yeah. follow? Like it is... A commitment. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's, it's, a, it's a big thing to think about, but... When you do step back and look at it, hate now I'm so because I feel like I've listened to myself so much now. I hate saying it, but holistically, it is it's a really it's a really good approach in with the way that things are now because we can't rely on one effort. Yeah. And gone are the days where, you know, you could put some money behind Facebook and, you know, grow an e-commerce brand. Mm. It just doesn't work like that anymore. People are smarter with their money now. A hundred percent. So you wanna like, you're like, okay, cool, my God, this is so cool. I've just seen it. I wanna buy it. And then you get to the cart and you go, Ooh. I don't think that's a good idea. Or I never put 24 hours between me and my purchases or like it's not in the budget. Yeah. That's where you go, you know, you're retargeting and you're kind of stalking that person around and being like, are you sure you don't want to buy this one? Correct. <laughs> what were we talking about the other day? We were talking about something and then it came up. You yeah. got served something. <laughs> about, about Facebook now wanting to give us a song. Oh no, Instagram. When you get down onto your Instagram profile, there's a song playing. Like I used to have it on MySpace. I'm here for that. I'm so into it. But I feel like that would be so much pressure deciding what song I'm actually going to have on my Instagram profile. Yeah. I remember the angst when, you know, you'd re- when you'd recode your MySpace mm-hmm. profile and then obviously pick a song to match. 
Because you wanted to create an experience for that. your friend coming to see you. Correct. That instant like, oh, she's cool. She's got this cool song. But you know what? I was thinking as well, the difference in the user experience in this case, with MySpace, we were on desktop, right? Yeah, true. So we generally had speakers. On mobile, 90% of people are on mute. Yeah, because you don't want to be that person on the bus. That, like, oh, and there's always one. It's always embarrassing. I mean, not that I've caught a bus in a really long time, but you know. Talk to me about the last few years. Again, you've primarily worked in hair and beauty. Is that an industry that you've lent towards for a particular reason? I think I got really excited when I started diving deeper into it. Like I said before, you kind of get really excited by, oh my God, it's hair and beauty. Like there's not a huge amount of job. It's like trying to find a job in fashion. Yeah, You know, there's not a lot. And so you go, oh my God, this is so cool. I'm into it. But I think staying in it and falling in love with it is the fact that it's really specialised. Like with hairdressing, you don't realise how much work goes into the hairdresser picking a specific colour. You know, you just think it's the colour in the tube. But if you try to do that on your hair, it won't work. You need to like activate this and all that kind of stuff. So it's all this like jargon and knowledge that goes with it that's really interesting. And then with skincare, it's like tenfold. The consumer is way more knowledgeable now than they ever used to be. So you can't just be like, okay, cool, this brightening serum does this to the skin. People will be like, well, I want to know what's in that. And then you go, okay, cool. I know those actual ingredients. People know vitamin C. People know niacinamide. You need to really dive deep and say, this is why this product is really important or like, well, how does this work? And then diving deeper in that, I just find it really cool. And it seems frivolous, you know, hair and beauty, you know, makeup, stuff like that. But you think about the impact that has on people. Like, oh, it's massive. I struggle with acne th- all throughout, you know, high school and stuff like that. And like, they're like, on your confidence, that's the worst. Yeah. And also the feeling when you get out of the hair salon. So like these things, even though they're not like saving the world, that means so much to people to have those things right. But also in saying like, you know, again, you mentioned the ingredients and things like mm. that, that it's, it is quite innovative. Yeah. And yeah. there's a lot happening. Yeah. And it's really interesting when you go into the science of things and how people are creating new versions of things. So you might think, oh, um, like natural vitamin C or something from like a plant-based is the best thing, but you know, that drains our resources. So actually something something coming from the lab that does the same thing or more that's synthetic it's might better. actually be better. That's so interesting. Yeah. Do you feel like the consumer has become far more educated and aware over the last few years in particular? For sure. And I think it's because, I actually don't know if it's because this, but I think influencers or people that influence purchases have become a lot more specialised. Mm. So you can't just be like back in the days of bloggers and stuff like that, you would have fashion, beauty, everything like that would be rolled into one. Lifestyle. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. The all-encompassing lifestyle. Like yeah. there's no, you know, each down or anything like that what they, everyone has to do now. But now, like I was saying to you just before, the people that I follow are like cosmetic chemists who review beauty products. So you know more about, you know, the molecule size and things and how it penetrates the skin versus, you know, probably 10 years ago where you go, I've never even heard of hyaluronic acid. Yeah, exactly right. Is the bottle pretty? Yeah, that's right. Will it look really cute on my basin? Yeah, and (laughs) can I keep it after just for decorative purposes? Like like Aesop. Aesop. (laughs) I still have one that I refill with thank you. Oh, you've got it. it. (laughs) No, but you're so right. And I I think the um, the era of the specialised influencer Mm. in particular, I think it's not going anywhere. No. I think you can still portray that lifestyle persona but if you want to truly influence and educate, you have, you, you can't, it's like being, it's being, sub, it's being everything to somebody. Like, I just don't think that's possible. Yeah. Unless you're following someone and get influenced to them because you love their lifestyle and their yeah. look and their feel and their vibe. Like, I would say something like that with like a Kim Kardashian type thing. Yeah. You want 
the whole experience. So whatever she's putting out, like putting down, you're picking up. Yeah. But if you're specifically looking for sunscreen or, I mean, that's a bad example because you can't market that anymore. I know, TGA. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but if you're looking for a moisturiser or things like that, you're going to go to specific people because you're going to find out why something's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, do you think like as well, people will gravitate to people that not necessarily look like them, but maybe similar skin type well, or no, similar hair. Yeah, because the thing is with skin, it's, you know, I could say to you, oh my God, I love, you. like your skin looks amazing at the moment. What are you using? If you've got dry skin and I've got oily skin, that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. So getting to someone who goes, okay, this is really good because of this. And I've reviewed this product. doesn't work for me, but it would work with someone with this type of skin. Yeah. And especially like if you're thinking, oh yeah, this is a really cool product, but it's someone in their 50s and you're in your 20s. Like it's not that's, relevant. That's not going to do any good to you. I mean, the, the fitness industry is very similar as well, you know, particularly with the evolution of training. Mm. When I first started working in fitness, I first started at Sweat. And obviously at that time it was BBG, high intensity. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just lists and cardio and all those things and you don't touch weights. Oh, no. Then very quickly, I'd probably say, you know, in 18 months, it was, we started to lift. Everyone's lifting. And then by the time I was at Ride Aware, it was, no, girls, we want to be strong. Mm -hmm. We don't want to be skinny. We want to be strong. And I saw this, I guess, dissection in the influencer market Mm -hmm. for people to go, I specifically do yoga. Uh I specifically do weights training. And the Pilates girl. Right. now. Or the walking. Yep. Yeah. Hot girl walks. They're everywhere. Okay. Am I just like a really late bloomer or what? But I saw someone write hot girl walks and I'm like, what are you saying? And then I realized it was... It was during the pandemic. It was oh. like peak 2020. Was that on TikTok though? Yeah. Yeah, because I wasn't on TikTok. <laughs> I'm very I'm very new to TikTok and it's, it. it's too late now. In your life. <laughs> three, three hours last night in bed watching bloody That's TikTok. That's how they get you. Oh, That's then, my first TikTok that I made. I decided to do one about me and my dog going for a walk. I love it. Please don't follow me on TikTok because yeah, not no a, trying to find all you're going to see. All you're going to see is me doing karaoke with my girlfriend. So I would definitely follow that. Yeah, it's not a fun. <laughs> it's not a fun time. What is it about hair and beauty and marketing that you find so appealing? Is it that, like you said, well, the feeling that knowing as female, you can kind of convey that feeling? Yeah, it definitely is. And I think yeah, someone that I've struggled with, you know, personal confidence and stuff mm. like that, being able to give people that like, especially with our, you know, skincare at the moment, we base a lot of our marketing and things like that on obviously person to person and in this real results thing. So yep. we encourage every customer to take their before photo and their after photo. And we have one and she's a fantastic example. She joined the business to prove that these photos have been photoshopped. So we have a body firming cream, like a moisturizer that has really great firming properties in it. And she put it on just one arm for three months and she saw a visible difference and she goes, damn it. That is hilarious. Yeah. It's my favorite story. Yeah, out- outcome-driven marketing is really is really cool, isn't it? Yeah. Because, you know, I had this conversation with a client the other day as well. We are saying, you know, it's not, hi, we're so-and-so, we do this. This is our services. This is how we mm-hmm. can help you. It's, what's the outcome? Yeah, like, how are you doing this? What am I getting? What do I, what's what do I get? What's 100%. Doing, yeah. And, you know, it sounds self-absorbed sometimes to go, well, what's in it for me? And I, and, you know, I, I pose that question to clients all the time. 100%. But you've got to put yourselves in the other person's shoes to try to understand what's the takeaway. Yeah. Because as we know, particularly social media, it's not a conversion tool. No, it's just like showing everyone what's out there. Yeah. And how do you cut through? Mm. That's a, I think that's the thing about hair and beauty. That's the biggest, you know, the thing that's going to stop people from either entering it or something like that. You've got to have a, such a unique point of difference 
Otherwise, how do you break through? Because there's so many brands that they've just launched through Instagram. Mm -hmm. And then you've got established brands. You know, you've got all the brands you see at the David Jones Beauty Counter. You got everything that you see on Mecca, Sephora. It's saturated. You've got to show people why you're different. What do you think is the best way to show points of differentiation? I think you've got to nail down on what makes your product special. Like if it's packaging, if it's, you know, it could say, you know, I'm, I've got a vitamin C serum. You go, cool, so does a lot of people. Um, but the way ours is packaged makes it special and increases the efficacy of the product. Uh, all the companies got to show that they're different. So not just their products are different, but, you know, they do a certain matter of percentage of their profits to charity. Or, you know, they've got really strong charity partners or, you know, they're a non-for-profit. So show people why you're different and why they should choose you. Yeah, because mm. that's really what it comes down to, right? Why should I choose you? Yeah, I've got a lot of options here. Why you? Like, it's like online dating. <laughs> well, I mean, I wouldn't say there's a lot of options, but... <laughs> <laughs> we don't want we don't want to go there. No, more about showing work special. <laughs> but it's it's so true. Like, you know, you walk into a Mecca and there's seven vitamin C serums. Yeah. What's going to make you pick one over the other? Mm-hmm. For me, it's who have I seen use it? Uh-huh. Have I seen it on social media? Yeah. And is it is there social proof? That's right. Do I know the brand? And then yeah, have I heard other friends have used it, anything like that? For me, I go up to the specialist. Yep. Yeah. Um, excuse me. What out of all of these things here? do you like? And then they'll always go, okay, cool. What kind of skin do you have? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, not just picking off the shelf anymore. I just I just don't think, I think shopping just because you know a brand as opposed to shopping because you know why you want to choose them, I think are two very different things. So mm-hmm. gone are the days where you just waltz into David Jones and be like, oh, Clinique, yeah. of course, everyone uses that. That'll do. My mum's used it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Mum's had that in the bathroom for years. Mm-hmm. It's not like that anymore. No. And I had the example of I went into to Mecca and I'd seen the, um, I think it was Charlotte Tilbury Flawless Filter everywhere. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, this is going to be amazing. This is the dream foundation. It's going to be awesome. Look shit. She put it on me and there's no coverage. And I was like, oh, so this isn't what I thought it was at all. But I was, if I hadn't been, had to go there, I think it was to get, you know, the beauty loop or something like that. I would have bought it mm-hmm. just online. So it's like there's a lot of value in having someone actually tell you and explain to you why something works for you instead of just blindly buying it, which I mean, I'm guilty of. But I think this is where the whole online-offline connection comes into play, which is, again, is something that we've talked about, you know, particularly with your role now. People aren't going to just buy a beauty product frivolously. It's not a frivolous purchase. Yeah. There needs to be research. There needs to be proof to actually have those activations where people can come off the street and actually just see what that foundation, Mm -hmm. obviously you don't do makeup, but see what that skin cream feels like, see what that toner feels like. That's what's actually going to get people invested. Yeah, I think that's why people used to love going to the counters. Yeah. You know, you got like a... It was an experience, right? It was great. You got to surround yourself with a product and talk about why they liked it or why it was a good product. I worry that with the growth of digital and the ability to like you said, start a you know, beauty business on Instagram. There, that kind of experience has been lost. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's the same with like fashion and things like that. The amount of people that would love to be able to, you know, either put their sizing in and, you know, have like an AI something show you mm. what it's going to look like on you. But you'd prefer to find it online because that's where you do most of your research and things like that. And then be able to go into the shop and try it on. So I think it's it's a dangerous thing where you're just wasting your money if you're just going to go, okay, yeah, that's going to fit me. If you don't have all the information, I think it can work online as long as you're giving people all the information. I think websites have been better with that so they can go, you know, it's good for oily skin, it's good for this, yeah. this, this. 
But I think also trying it. The amount of times you've probably bought something, can you bring it home and you go, oh, that smells or that, you know. Yeah. terrible. I bought the same um, tinted moisturiser that I, I honestly thought it was the exact same product. Mm. And then it came and it was in a di- different colour tube. And I just assumed that they changed the packaging. It was completely different. Mm. Completely different. The worst. Now, I'm probably... It wasn't, wasn't cheap. I'm probably still going to use it. It's fine if I'm tanned. But... You know, I thought that I was buying the, the exact same thing. Yeah. And then, like, how are you going to go back to that brand and go, oh, I don't, do I trust that you're not have just changed my product without telling me? That's another thing. I'm really glad you mentioned that. People are obviously changing their products all the time and they're evolving. And naturally, because science changes yeah. and, and the customer's needs change, how do you deal with, I guess, loyal customers who have been buying the same thing for years and then you change the formula and all hell breaks loose? Yeah. I think we had that. We um, had our night cream that we launched the company on. It was the first product when the company launched for the first, I think, three years. And then it changed. And you get some people that will understand why the formula changed. And, you know, never no one changes a formula to make it worse. No. You know? So you kind of have to educate people as to why they've changed it. But some people you just never get back because they're the same people that will use, you know, the same brand of everything for their entire life and don't like change. I've relied on this. I don't want to give this formulation a My chance. My life is over. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you do this to me? Um, but yeah, you've got to educate people about like, okay, cool. The, this cream has changed. We've added this formula in. We've taken this out. This is why we've taken it out. It's like if, I think it's with sunscreens as well, you find out that this little ingredient in it that's not even, you know, anything to do with the product really, just a stabilizer or something like that, wasn't good for you or they found some research of this and you pull it out and then yeah maybe it does change the texture slightly but it makes it a better product naturally like that's basic science isn't it I mean again I failed science so what would I know but yeah I think when things are being changed to be better Mm. that's where education comes in I think that's where something like social is really important because you can blast out that message because let me tell you people aren't opening emails anymore they just want to send on social and find that information there It's really interesting because I was doing some analysis on emails for a client yesterday and I know that email open rates skyrocketed during COVID. Naturally, I think we all had a little bit more time on our hands. We were more interested in shopping and, you know, just behaviours. But I don't think that has been maintained. Yeah. And I think that our consumers have become a little bit more selective with what they do and don't open, right? Sure. What I was looking at yesterday was which audiences or which particular campaigns had the highest click-through in comparison to a different market segment. Now, we're talking open rates of 70% and click-through of 15%. It was long. It was all text. I only had one image. The one that had 2% click-through was beautiful. It was aesthetic. It Mm. had images. Now, why? The only thing I can think of is the computers hate a lot of images because they can't read them. But like, why? I think it was a demographic thing. So I think this is where it really comes down to knowing your customer. Now, we know the people that this particular segment that had a 70% open rate, they're older. Yeah. So they're skewing skewing a little bit more 50 plus. Mm -hmm. They, They need to be sold to. Yeah. They're not going to just see, you know, this is for a, a wine client. They're not going to just see a bottle of wine and be like, yeah, cool, I'm just going to buy that. Mm-hmm. Why? Yeah. Why is this good? Because I'm I'm willing to spend good money on a case of something, but I need you need to sell it to me. Mm-hmm. So I, I find it really challenging that people don't invest in email marketing probably quite like they should. Yeah, because they're, they're, you're right, there are a demographic of people who will still like read an article online and they're probably the same people who still have you know, probably not a physical newspaper, but, you know, advertise a subscription. So they do want to sit down and read stories. 
um, opposed to a lot of the younger people now, especially, you know, with the introduction of TikTok and things like that, it's video because you want to absorb not so much, like actively participate in that knowledge. Yep. Yeah. Have you found, I know that we've, we've talked about this before as well, you know, content marketing, is that still a driving force in the overall strategy of the brand? Yeah, it is. Yeah. And I think that comes down to the education of it. So you want to figure out, you know, if we say launch a serum or something like that, you're not going to be like, cool, this is just a hydrating serum, off you pop. You're going to be like, <laughs> where does this fit in? What is what I already have? You know, how does this work with if I'm using other products and stuff like that? So I think in the education piece and also like obviously content marketing works for like SEO purposes. Mm. So like that's something that should never be discounted because Google is there. Like let's not forget about Google when we keep thinking about social. No, absolutely. And I think, again, this is where you'd look at the customer life yeah. cycle or the customer journey and you go, they're going to go off and back and in between everything else. Mm. But when they're ready to actually search for something, you need to make sure you're coming up. For sure. Let's go back to the blogging side of things because I do want to touch on some nostalgia with you. Talk me, take me back to the blogging days. Oh, what a time. When it used to be blogging, not influencing. Are we talking like 2015? Oh, I think it was earlier than that. I think it might have been 2013, 2014. Yeah, right. It was a You're an OG, yeah. aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember being at Glam Adelaide and I like contacted someone who did um, like faux fur vests and it was like a, that was one of the first like quote unquote shoots that I did. A, co- I a collab. Oh, yes. So yeah, that was, that was such a fun time. And I think those things, like not so much, you don't need to have a full website and things like that because that's expensive these days. You can't go, you know, to free blogspots. So your yeah. thing is something, something.blogspot.com. Like that's not, doesn't look so cute anymore. But being able to work on something that's personal, especially when you're trying to get a job or thinking about what you want to do with your life, if you have a passion that you go, yeah, I want to explore this. You go, cool. All right, let's just do it on my own time. Yeah. You know, I'm going to, you know, take photos of myself was definitely not the one I liked, but I liked No, writing. me either. I loved writing. And then, you know, the golden era of flat lays as well. So that was a fun thing where you kind of work out how things work in a photo and stuff like that. And it was just really fun. You'd update your template and you'd kind of learn a little bit of coding you know, how the back end of the website works. So you'd go a little bit into, oh, WordPress is telling me I need to put a keyword in. What does that mean? Yeah. And so like just learning things like that and then you, you're you looking for a job and you go, okay, cool, my previous role didn't actually have that. But I did learn that doing this by myself. So that's something that's really cool. And a bit of a passion project as well, yeah, right? that's right. Like I think mine started because I knew pretty well that I was never going to get a job in fashion because it's Adelaide and I didn't really want to move to Sydney. Um, and so I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do it myself. And it was a really cool time in Adelaide where like you used to have little blogger events and stuff. Yeah. Like that. And Adelaide Fashion Festival was in full swing and it was just really fun. Yeah, I think that's what makes me sad now is that we don't have those events and things like that, obviously, for obvious reasons. But <laughs> I, I'm not sure if they ever will quite be the same again. Yeah, and it's different because you look at the people that were sitting, you know, in the media pits and stuff like that. And there were people that would write or the people that would create really cool photos and stuff like that. And um, no disrespect to the people, what they do now, because I think influencers now is a completely different beast. Mm, because you've 100%. The, the, the quality of your content, but it's all really influencers and it's all really like a visual medium versus mm-hmm. it being like a full website experience. So it's really, it's interesting. Oh, maybe, maybe call, call me nostalgic, but I just, yeah, I, I'm, I love writing as well and I love, I love reading blogs. And I think, you know, we go back to some of, particularly in the fashion industry, some of the biggest fashion influencers, they all started with blogs. Yeah, you look at like Margaret Tang, who was like one of my favourite people. Right. Now she's, you know, 
editor of Vogue China. Elle Ferguson and Tash yeah. Sefton. You know, and they, they didn't write. It was a photo blog, mm. but it still was a different concept, right? And I think that also comes back to the fact that they had something that was their own. They had a website, mm-hmm. which is like you own that space and you can do whatever you want with it versus being at the mercy and the whim of a Facebook and Instagram algorithm. But I, I did have this conversation with Luke Jamison actually in season one and we talked about, you know, there's no there's no reason why as an individual you can't at least have like a landing page or something. Yeah. Like, you know, think about Squarespace. Mm-hmm. It's actually quite affordable. How can you capture people's information? How can you add value beyond just, hey, come on my Instagram page? Maybe if it is fashion, you actually do a written list version with links of your reel that you posted, then you can link to the reel. Or, you know, get a little bit creative because at the end of the day, like you said, we are at the mercy of the algorithm. Yeah, and also I think if you've got something online that's yours and your website and things like that, it actually stays around for a lot longer. Like I remember doing that, I did some brand collaboration things with a few different brands. And it was, you go, okay, cool, we could do some photos and things like that. But I would love to also do a written piece because once someone's seen that on my Instagram feed, they've gone. That's like one initial thing. And unless they're going to go back and stalk my Instagram, they're never going to see that again. But someone who's looking for something online, it's going to pop up on Google every now and then. um, And that's something that's going to stay around forever. Exactly right. And I think that's the thing. You look at the lifespan and how can we get the most out of one piece of content, which again is something that you and I have discussed on a couple of occasions. When when you're putting so much time and energy into, say, creating a reel, how can we get the most out of that? You know, can we get some stills out of it as well? Can we turn it into a written piece? Can we somehow turn it into an email? Like, it's you're not you're not having to reinvent all these new ideas. You're just using this one idea and actually making it go further. Yeah, that's right. Like if you're a fashion influencer or something like that and you were taking photos of yourself from a few different events and you actually ended up wearing the same pair of shoes or like the same blazer, you go, oh my God, cool. I can write a full content piece about why I re-wore this blazer and why, you know, staple wardrobe. Yeah, the best blazer ever bought. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So like gets you to be a little bit creative about it. You go, I don't want to reinvent the wheel. I don't have to go and do a full photo shoot. I can actually use what I've already done. Exactly. But this is where brands need to be smarter in that sense as well, because one of the main reasons I started Digital was because I saw how much content was going to waste. When you don't create content with purpose, it, it just literally, it goes to waste. And there are so many businesses that waste and spend so much money on content. Yeah, you're doing like full photo shoots. What, like, to get used you, once? Use half of the photos. Yeah, yeah. Or the full that full brand video that goes on the website and gets watched five times. Devastating. It happens all the time. Yeah. But if you're actually taking a step back and going, well, let's look at our data. Mm. Let's look, give the people what they want. <laughs> let's look at our analytics and say, we know that our audience really engages in this type of content. Mm-hmm. Cool. Let's actually put a plan together. Maybe we build it out as a campaign and we make it go a little bit bit further. Yeah, or like making it not so, you know, putting something in that's of the moment so you can make it a little bit more evergreen. I'm glad that you use the word evergreen <laughs> because that's something that I've been talking about with my team a lot lately. Yes, businesses, naturally product-based businesses, will always have new products or a product focus or things like that. But if you take those novelty peaks out of play, what's, the, what's that evergreen message? Yeah. That's right. Like you don't need to be every month being like, oh, this is fun. This is fun. This is fun. Like talk about why your brand is good all the time. And then when there's not a promotion or there's not something happening, people are still really interested. Correct. Because we see this. And again, you know, I've had a look at some data from another client as well. And they're very product focused. It's always, here's a new product. Here's a new product. Here's a new product. And it's like, whoa, you're you're teaching your audience that you're just always going to 
bring in new products. Yeah. What they actually they want to get to know the story. They want to get to know the brand and love you mm-hmm. for your core range of products. Yeah, ideally, you want people that love you and will purchase your product at full price at any time. You don't want like this. I know there's always going to be some brands that I will never buy them full price because I always know. They're just going to come up with a 20%. 100%. You know? Or I know I can find a code. Yeah. <laughs> Damn codes. <laughs> yeah, so it's like you got to work on that basis. You can't always be like, oh my gosh, so what promotion can we do to get a new customer? Why don't you focus on the people that either have already purchased or, you know, are looking around, tell them why they should be interested and why, you know, they're lurking. Let's convert. Like why you should click add to cart and actually click check out. Yeah. Yeah, Mal Chia said something really interesting as well back in season one. And he said, you know, they're not a customer till they've bought from you twice. Yeah, for sure. And I love that because I do think that customer loyalty, when there is so much to choose from, mm-hmm. and as we've as we've mentioned, you know, beauty is saturated. Yeah. If they're coming back to you, how are you thank how are you thanking them? Yeah. Like what's your lo- what's your loyalty angle? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really important because I've had this conversation with people that I work with. It's really interesting that a lot of companies will focus so much on the influencer side of things. So when they're doing like a big event or something like that, you go, oh my God, I've seen this beautiful, you know, vitamin company that's done, flown people to the NT and they've done this huge long lunch and they've stayed in this beautiful thing. It's so aesthetic. Have you looked at the people who are buying a lot from you and treated them to something? So like you don't need to get give people thousands of dollars worth of stuff. You could be looking internally and going, how do I treat our VIP customers to something that's really special and keep them because person to person... Like if I said to you, oh my gosh, I just got this, like these vitamins have changed my life. Yeah. And you're going to be like, okay, cool, maybe I'll try that. Yeah, I'd, I'd listen to you over someone that I've yeah. randomly sent on my Instagram feed. Just then going to a, like a luxurious lunch. Again, I'm glad you mentioned those influencer type lunch because, you know, we did a lot of those events at Rider Wear and yes, mm-hmm. they were super effective. But exactly like you said, we didn't always do influencers, so to speak. We actually, a lot of the influencers that we found were customers first. Yeah. And I think that's where our approach was different because I wanted them to love the brand already. Yeah, and it actually shows the people who are watching that's authentic because they probably would have been posting and tagging. And they go, oh my gosh, like, I don't know if you ever do this when you see if you've followed an influencer for a long time or someone like that, and then you see them get a brand deal. Yes. Oh, that's so nice. Like, I've got a photographer friend of mine in um, in Melbourne, and I just saw her shoot a really well-known fashion person's, I think it was son's birthday. And I was like, oh. Oh You're proud gosh, of them. So great. Like you've done such a good job. So it's really and that get they get to follow the journey. You go, oh, that company must be really cool. Yeah. Like, I love that. Yep. And also, you know what? That's what you're working for. Yeah. Again, I had a really good conversation with Carly Atkins, who owns Consume, and we we're talking about appreciating and understanding that a lot of these micro influencers, they want to create content. Mm-hmm. They want to align with brands. So how can you work together? And a lot of the time they're just really creative people. Like, I know we've talked about Jasmine Dowling. Yeah, I um, love her. She's just, obviously, that's a creative person. And that's how she got these huge brand deals is because she's just a beautiful creative. And that's how she got popular. And like, that's beautiful. It's not because, you know, she looked hot in a bikini. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so, Yeah, I'm so glad you say that because, you know, I love that Instagram is not that anymore. Yeah. That, I think that was kind of like the tipping point for me. Um, a lot of people ask me, you know, how do you how do you balance your like mental health mm-hmm. and Instagram? Because I've worked on social media pretty much full time for over 10 years now. Yeah. And it's a lot. I get told. But I think the main thing for me, particularly working in influencer marketing at the time that I did, I know it's bullshit. Yes. You know how much effort goes into that photo. I can look at it and I know that is not real. Mm-hmm. That's not real. They're full of shit. <laughs> because... 
it's perception. We're yeah. teaching people what we want them to see. Mm-hmm. And I think going on a tangent, that's something that I think TikTok's been a little bit better at. You can actually see people in real time doing stuff. Obviously, you can angle a camera a certain way to make yourself look better. Of course. But there's also people going, you know, this is me relaxed. Like if they're a fitness influencer or something like that, this is my body relaxed, standing straight on, feet together, whatever. This is actually what my body looks like. But isn't it funny? Post. They'd never post that on Instagram. Oh, absolutely not. And there was a, there was a little bit of a trend at one point, the whole like, yeah, relax and mm-hmm. pose thing. It didn't really take off for obvious reasons because <laughs> Instagram's just not about that. <laughs> but it makes me sad that you feel you feel like you can post that on one platform, but you can't post it on Instagram. Yeah. Because Instagram has, and I think always will be that highlight reel. It's that, por- it's that portfolio. And I think it's having the thumbnail there as well. Like on TikTok, you can kind of choose what you put up there and things like that. And I, can, I know you can now on Instagram Reels. You could just put like a different cover photo on mm-hmm. and that's completely different. But yeah, I think having it on there. So if someone new finds you, I think this is the ego talking, you know, they go, oh, mm, that's not such a cute photo. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's not so cute. Like, it's not a good vibe. <laughs> I'd love to talk a little bit more about your current role, obviously, at Neora and I guess the business structure. So you have business partners who drive the growth of the business. They're essentially your men on the ground. How does that differ from marketing within a traditional business model? Yeah, so Neora is a direct sales company. So it's completely different, strange, wonderful business model. Um, a lot of the companies that are out there kind of have a scary, people have a scary vision of it and things mm. like that. But really at its base, it's a business model. Think of somewhere like Tupperware. So you don't buy Tupperware from Tupperware.com. You don't buy it from the shops. You buy it from a rep. I still have my mother's Tupperware from like 1980. Really good stuff. I know. <laughs> They don't make that like that. Nah. No. So yeah, we have a really a big sales force of people we call brand partners. So they go out there and they, you know, will talk to you. So, you know, you're a mum at school and you go, oh, cool, your skin looks really good. Oh, yeah, this is what I use. And it it's really an organic way of doing it. So I like to think of it these days as a mix between really old school marketing of like, you know, 1950s housewife, you know, what lipstick is that? kind of thing to door-to-door sales, Avon lady vibes. Yeah. And now also it has this really new life of social selling. Yes. So a lot of our brand partners are on social and they kind of treat it like it's an influencer thing. So I'm an everyday person. I I have a side income. I do it selling these products. And it's just really another way to sell product. I think it's actually quite powerful because you're literally cutting out the bullshit. Yeah. And These think, are real people. Yeah, I think like literally what we just talked about, you're hearing from someone who has had results and you can literally see it on their skin. You go, oh, okay, I'm actually going to trust you. You've got one arm that's firmer than <laughs> yeah. the other. You're really good looking <laughs> arm and one not so hot arm. Uh, so yeah, seeing that and like talking to people and making relationships and that's what direct selling is also called relationship marketing because it's person to person. And I think that's a really nice way of doing things because then you can sample off of that person um, we also have like a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you buy the product, Love we it. have had, you know, many times someone's finished an entire bottle and sent it back and wanted a refund. We're like, all right, you gave it a shot. Because, yeah, you know, like something that's really interesting is like with a lot of things like medication, like, you know, supplements, stuff like that, you actually should be giving your skincare at least at least 30 yeah, days, true. ideally 90 days for it true. to work. But because we've got all this stuff here, we're like, ah, this is really exciting. I want to try this one. But you've not given something the chance to actually work with your skin. So yeah, there's just a different way for us to sell. And so you can become a brand partner and someone that sells the product. Or we have a huge range of people who are our preferred customers. And so they are just on a subscription. So every month it comes from the warehouse. Love it. And it's on your door. 
as we know, these kinds of businesses naturally have a pretty bad rap. Call it pyramid schemes, mm-hmm. call it what you want. I think if anyone's watched Working Mums, yes. um, what was that? I watched that recently. Yeah, like, what oh, was God. it? The, um, the cleaning. The mum thing. Yeah. Oh, that was savage. Yeah. It's a cheap shot, right? As a marketer, how do you reposition Neora to, I guess, relieve that stigma? Yeah, and it, it is really hard. And I think it comes from a place where either you, your family's maybe had a bad experience with it, it's from a different company, it's from someone overseas. And I can't speak to those kind of companies overseas because, you know, people in America, it's all, it's really different. You know, they sell differently to us and all that kind of stuff. But what I can say is that us in Australia, we work really hard within our company to make sure that people are doing this from a really ethical standpoint. So you're not going to, we're trying really hard to train our people, no, don't be pushy. Yeah. Because there's no point saying, oh, you know, come on board and be part of, you know, my group. And that person does nothing but because they've gone, oh my God, I need to be, I'm sucked into this. I'm, you know, in it forever. You've been better off if they just say one of your customers. So we just talk about how, like, if someone's not feeling it, they're not going to feel it. Yeah, back off. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, we've got 30 day money back guarantee. We're trying to put a lot of safe safeguards in that you don't feel trapped. And this is something that you want to do. You can do it for a short period of time. You can do it forever. You can do it for, you know, having three customers and that's it. You know, and a little bit of that. Just your you little can, circle. Yeah, that's right. And so doing it in a way that you want to do it, trying to make sure that our our sales force are being, I want to say, chill about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you don't lock people in. We have, you know, a very low cost of entry. It used to be $70 because it included product. We cut that right down during the pandemic. So it's $27. Yeah, right. And that just includes, you know, setup costs. So you get your own website. People put their sales through you. It comes from a warehouse. So you always have that vision. There was a show that came out with Kirsten Dunst. I don't know if you ever saw it. Something about a 90s pyramid scheme company. Yes, and, yeah, I never watched it. Yeah, it's like, it's quite confronting, but <laughs> people have that vision of like, you've got a warehouse at your garage. Yeah. Like, you can't move and you're like, I've paid thousands of dollars for this. That's the American thing though, right? Yeah, and I think that's just like, maybe that's where the com- the industry used to be. Yeah. But I know with us, we have a warehouse here in South Australia. Everything comes from the warehouse. We've got really quick shipping, which is really cool. We would never recommend anyone stockpile product. And we actually kind of give them a slap on the wrist if they do. Because one, if you're trying to give someone products that you've been keeping for a couple of months, it might be out of date. Yeah. We can't ensure that it's been kept in an environment and temperature that's really good for the product. So we're like... It's not the best reflection of the brand, is it? No, exactly. And, you know, and some people, it works better that way. If you go, okay, cool, ship your product to me. I'll I'll see you at school. Or you're a hairdresser and you go, I'll just bring it to my client. Yeah. Sometimes it works better like that. But definitely it all comes from the warehouse. We, yeah, we try very hard to be as ethical as possible within this business. And I know that you're governed through Direct Selling Australia. Yeah, so yeah. there's um, a Direct Selling Association. Right. There's one in the US and there's one here. Um, and you don't have to be. If you're a, a direct selling organisation, you don't have to be part of it, but we choose to be. So that's really good, you know, and they, they're they great with saying, you know, there's some um, government, something that's happened to the government, and then we, you know, go sit and through legal and stuff like that and make sure that everything's running well and that's when we got information about the TGA and therapeutic goods and how you sell for that. So, yeah, I really like being part of a governing body because then you you actually know what's going on in the world. Could not agree more. <laughs> I think hearing it from the horse's mouth because mm. I think one of the biggest issues in social in particular is there's no governance. No. We're not re- we're not restricted or ruled by anything really. Anyone it's it's free reign. Yeah. So when things like the TGA side of things came up, everyone was like Huh? Oh, it was everyone freaked out. Yeah. 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 Talk me through that a little bit because I think you're probably a better person <laughs> to explain it. But basically, as therapeutic goods influencers were told they can no longer <laughs> promote products that 
you it's it's health or beauty basically, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was. It depends. What, so it's a product that is classified as a therapeutic good. So pretty much a blanket. It's a lot of like the wellness stuff. Yeah, so like vitamins, yeah. sunscreens. So definitely within the beauty industry, it's sunscreens. It was the big one. So because of the impact of the sun on skin cancers and things like that, yep. you they don't want you... For some, I don't really agree with it. I do to a certain degree, but say I liked this because X, Y, Z. They want it to become, you know, it's sunscreen, it works like this. But... I don't, I don't agree with it because I've listened to some people who really talk about it who used to review sunscreens and say, you know, it felt like this on my skin, but they can't. They have to go X, Y, Z. Mm, it loses authenticity, yeah, doesn't it? You're more likely to buy a sunscreen from a brand if you heard that it's really nice on the skin or it doesn't cake your makeup and things like that. But if you were gifted it or paid in any kind of way, shape or form, you can't say anything about it. So even our, so our brand partners, if we sold a sunscreen because they get commission they couldn't say, I like this because. They say, this is a sunscreen, it's a gel-based, it contains this, this, and this, Fact. and this. And then it's the, you know, prolonged exposure to sun causes skin cancer, slip, slop, slap, you know, all that stuff that wow. comes underneath, like you would if you had to do a vitamin, which has been like that for quite some time. You know, use only as directed, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I think where the issue comes into play is, you know, you look at brands like JS Health, who've mm. got a huge slap on the wrist for basically saying, take this and you'll get this. <laughs> The mess it's the messaging, right? It's all yeah. in the delivery. I think it's a really fine line between saying, hey, this was my personal experience. Mm -hmm. I liked it exactly like you just said, you know, didn't cake my makeup. It mm -hmm. felt like this. You know, I felt like my complexion was better. Yeah. But hey, give it a go yourself, mm -hmm. as opposed to being like, you know, you're gonna find this result. It's gonna it's gonna reduce signs exactly. of aging and Yeah, that's what I thought was really strange. It's like you can't it's I think it's they phrase it by personal testimonial is what you can't do, which is just crazy. And like, I do get it for the wellness stuff because if you're, you're dealing with sick people a lot of the time, yeah. you know, it gets a bit wild when people go, this brain supplement cured my Alzheimer's. You're like, whoa, 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 well, whoa. Who we was don't want that out there. Who was that girl many, many years ago that oh, tried to yeah. claim that she cured her own brain my cancer diet. with her diet? Belle Gibson. That's it. Yeah. You know, I understand issues like mm. that have definitely driven acts like this. Yeah. But sunscreen is, and I think that's, the thing that kills people a little bit inside is that we're Australia. Like anything that gets people going, oh, it's not going to be gross on my skin. I actually might wear this sunscreen is a good thing. Yeah. You know, you don't want someone just being like, yeah, maybe you'll like this because it has this, this and this. Do you have any regulatory stuff with the US yeah, we arm do. of the business? Yeah, so we have obviously our our company is US, our HQ is in the US mm. and they have maybe about double the amount of products that we do and they're pretty much specifically in the wellness space. Okay. Um, because the TGA is just very strict. And they're not even big things. Like we have a collagen supplement in the US and it's, I think it's 20 milligrams. It, don't, don't quote me on this because I can't remember the actual stats of it, but something like it has 20 milligrams per sachet. But in Australia, you have to have under 20 milligrams per sachet. Yeah, right. Yeah, so it's just things like that. And then there's just like, you know, additives and stuff like that. Yeah, it's just a lot easier to get things through. And we have like some sleep, a sleep in the US that's got melatonin in it. Yeah. Here it's just over the counter. So Australia is just really strict. Yeah, we are, aren't we? And yeah. you don't realise until you start digging a little no, bit. You try to get products here and you go, oh man. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, if you're buying a whole heap, you go, oh guys, I found this really cool product. I'm going to buy 20 of them and you guys can have it too. And then it gets stopped at the docks and they destroy it. Yeah, I know. they will. <laughs> I, actually, I actually had that issue. Who was shipping um, right away to someone once? I reckon it might have been in Spain. 
and something to do with customs and got destroyed. They are ruthless. Yeah. Customs do not care. No. <laughs> no. I mean, I do love watching border security. Yeah, it is true. my it is my little uh, guilty obsession. Fun when it's not you involved. Yeah. <laughs> Caitlin, thank you so much for your time, thank your you insight. Me. Honestly, like I feel the beauty space is it's ever evolving and throw digital in that as well. Like hats off to you for keeping up and, you know, well done on your career today. I know you've got a very bright future ahead of you and I love working with you. What would be your advice to someone who is looking to perhaps get into the beauty space? Like you said, we're in Adelaide. Mm-hmm. It's limited. Mm-hmm. How, do you get, how do you get your foot in the door? I think showing that you've got like a point of difference. Like, like, like if you're trying to sell a product, if you're trying to sell you, like why should you be chosen over somebody else who's got the same amount of experience as you. You know, we've talked about before, you know, everyone these days will be like, okay, I have to get that piece of paper. But like, have you done any experience in this area? Like, are you specifically wellness or beauty and things like that? Are you actually passionate about it? Do you have like a, you know, an Instagram that's just about skincare or things like that? Like, why should we pick you over somebody else? And I think having a passion for something really speaks volumes because you can, you can teach someone to do just about everything, but you can't, you know, get someone to change their personality or change the way they're willing to work and things like that. So Couldn't agree more. Showing that you're willing to put in the effort that you don't get paid for, but you're just really passionate about it, I think goes a really long way. Love it. Write that down. <laughs> As always, you can join our Facebook group, Digitalks. Any questions for myself or for Caitlin, anyone you'd like to nominate for future episodes, we are well into season three. Stay tuned. But always excited to meet new people working in the marketing industry in Adelaide. I'm loving sitting down with everyone. Until next time, I hope you really enjoyed this one.